Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aharoni. Today is the 24th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev, November 28th, 2021. And this week we will be reading the Torah portion of Miketz, which is all about Yosef becoming the Viceroy of Egypt. But we're not going to talk about the Parsha, the Torah portion, so much this week. We're actually going to spend most of this episode talking about the holiday of Hanukkah. Yes, Hanukkah starts tonight, which means that all around the world, Jews will be lighting Hanukkah candles. Eight candles, one candle a night. So one candle on day one, two candles on day two, three candles on day three, and so on. And on this show, we'll talk about the significance of this order. Why do we start from one candle going up to eight and not the other way around as the other opinion in the Talmud? We will also talk about the power of prayer of Hanukkah, what you can pray for every single day and how Hanukkah has an especially potent capacity for prayer. So what should we pray for on every day and what you should do on the last day of Hanukkah to see miracles happen in the coming year. And finally, we'll talk about the message of Hanukkah to present-day Israeli politics, and especially the issues of religion and state and how these are being decided as we speak in Israel. What is the message of Hanukkah to each one of us and to Israeli politicians? And can they make decisions about the Jewish nature of the state of Israel? So all of these things, all of these issues will be on our show today. But before we do, I wanted to make sure that you remember to light Hanukkah candles. It's a very small act. It's a very small mitzvah, but it is so important. And there are people around you in your vicinity who are alone on this holiday. Be sure to invite them to. Be sure to spread the light of Hanukkah, to share it with your friends and neighbors. There might be people out there who used to love Hanukkah when they were young, when they had families, and now they're all alone. Be sure to find them, bring them in into the warmth of your home, and share, spread the joy of Hanukkah with other people. It is so important that this holiday is a family holiday for everybody, even for people who do not have a family. So as you listen to the show, I want you to think, who else can you share the light of Hanukkah with? Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. 
So tonight, Jews all around the world will celebrate Hanukkah, the beloved holiday of children all over, where we will be lighting candles one by one each day. Day one, one candle. Day two, two candles. Day three, three candles. And so on for eight days until next Sunday. And this year, Hanukkah comes early. Usually Hanukkah comes in the end of December at the same time as the non-Jewish holidays. But this year, it came early in November and can enjoy the light of its own without having to compete with any other kind of lights. Now, Hanukkah is an interesting holiday to become so popular to the extent that all kinds of Jews celebrate it, not just people who are religiously observant. Because Hanukkah is not a celebration of Jews over Greeks, as people usually think, but a celebration of the victory of a very small Jewish minority who decided to stay true and loyal to the Jewish heritage against an overwhelming majority of Jews who decided to pick up and take on Greek customs and values. So ironically, Hanukkah was actually not a fight between Jews and Greeks, but it was sort of a very unfortunate civil war. In the end, though, the little Jews, group of Jews who um, decided to stay loyal to Torah prevailed, while the Jews who took on Greek culture and the Greek supporters and the Greek army all lost. And today, I think it's so important to keep this holiday in its pure form and to actually stick to its message, because its message is how important and cherished our Jewish identity is even in the midst of a secular minor majority, how we have to preserve a little flask of oil against the influences of the greater general culture. There are two parts to the Hanukkah miracle. There is the very famous story of the flask of oil. It is said that the Ro Greeks, when they entered the temple, they made sure to empty out or break or pollute all the oil they could find. And when the Jews uh, redeemed the temple and came to rededicate it, they looked for pure oil and they found one flask that was sealed with the seal of the, of the great coin. So when they tried to light that light oil, it was only enough for one night. It wasn't enough for eight nights. The time was necessary to prepare more pure oil. But that one flask kept being lit and kept shining for eight days. That's the miracle of Hanukkah. And what's important to notice here is that according to Jewish law, they did not have to have pure oil. If there is no pure oil, it is possible to use impure oil. But they really insisted on finding the little flask of pure oil. And in our culture, it is so easy to find substitutes. It's easy to find alternatives. You know, we don't have good reading materials for our kids, so we'll find something that just does the job. We don't have great music, so we'll find non-Jewish music, whatever it is. It's so easy to go for the quote-unquote non-pure alternatives, but especially when it comes to the education of our children. And Hanukkah is from the word of chinuch, literally means dedication, but also education. It is so important to find the little spaces, the little drops 
of quality material for our children, like great music, like great videos, like great songs, like great books, that will give them the pure Jewish outlook on the world. The second um, part of Hanukkah, which is less known and less paid attention to, is actually the military victory. The military victory of a very small band of guerrilla fighters against a much larger and much better uh, equipped Greek army. And we say in the prayers that the weak fought and uh, were victorious over the strong. And Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev asks, what's the meaning of this? The weak against the strong. And he explains that when somebody is weak, he can only be weak in his mind. When two people are fighting and one person is certain that he's going to win, that person is strong. But when the other person is not so certain that he's going to win, that's what makes him weak, not the actual physical weakness. So how is that appraised to the to the Maccabim? How is it appraised to them? They were actually strong people. And Beloved Yitzhak explains that the Maccabim did not place their trust in their might. They did not place their trust in their ability. They placed their trust in God alone. And that's why it says that they were weak. They knew that they were weak without God's help. They placed their trust in God alone and did not assign any ability or take any credit to themselves. And this is a great lesson of Hanukkah. We can't do anything without God. We are in this place of darkness. Hanukkah actually helps us during the darkest time of the year. And as we look around in this darkness, it is so easy to become despondent. It is so easy to give up. But when you look at this little light, this one light of Hanukkah, it can dispel so much darkness. And this little light doesn't come from our ability. It comes straight from God. It is the supernatural ability of God to light up anything. And he gives us this power to light up anything. So the Maccabim did not put their trust in their own might. They only put their trust into God. And especially on Hanukkah, this holiday, unlike many other holidays, happened through human intervention. Like Passover, which happened by God's might alone. Unlike Purim, where really a step played a very little part. On Hanukkah, the Maccabees really went out and fought, and it was so easy for them to take credit. It was so easy for them to fall into this trap of taking credit for themselves. But it's this, especially the Maccabees, who actually did not take credit, who saw themselves as weak without God's assistance. And it's such a message for us, especially in our society, where if you don't tell, if you don't brag, it didn't happen. Ironically, it is people who are modest and assuming people who don't take advantage of their bragging rights, people who do give credit where it belongs, and people who do give credit to God, they're the ones who will be most successful. We see this in our weekly portion as well. When Yosef is brought to Pharaoh to decipher the dream, after having deciphered the dreams of two of the Pharaoh's servants, Yosef gives all the praise to God. And he keeps using God's name because it is God who gives him the wisdom to decipher the dreams, certainly the dreams of Pharaoh. And it is risky. It is risky to be keeping 
um, the name of God and referring to the name of God. But Yosef does it anyway because this is his integrity. This is who he is. And ultimately, this is what makes him successful. And ultimately, it is God's blessing that gives him the ability to bring blessing and abundance to the house of Pharaoh and to the Egyptian culture. And if we keep this in mind, if we keep in mind that everything we have is from God, then we can take advantage of Hanukkah's amazing power of prayer. In Jewish heritage, number eight is considered to be above nature. The eight days of Hanukkah, and each one of them is particularly auspicious for certain prayers. So Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev, the same Rabbi Levi Yitzhak we just mentioned, says that the first day is the best night to pray for anybody who is lonely and depressed, so that you would not be lonely and depressed. And the second night is the time to pray that you or someone you know should find a spouse, or if you are married but your house is not as harmonious as you would like it to be, that you have marital harmony. The third night is a time to pray for good, for healthy and happy children who really find themselves. The fourth night is a night for the four matriarchs to be, to pray that like them you will find your authenticity in your essence. The fifth night is the night of the five books of the Torah, and that's they will pray that everybody in your family should be enveloped in Torah learning. On this night, the majority of the Hanukkah lights are lit. And that means we can pray for more light in our life and for revelation. The sixth night is the night to pray for joy. And the seventh night, we pray for joy for Shabbat. Shabbat is the source of all blessings. So the seventh night is the time to pray for that. And finally, on the eighth night, we pray to have anything that we want. It's the strongest night. It's a very powerful day for prayer. And I just recently heard about a group of women who all decided to write down their prayers for the coming year on the eighth night and then put it into the, the Hanukkah box with the Hanukkah for the coming year. And then on the following Hanukkah to take out the Hanukkah and those pieces of paper and see if the things that they prayed for came true. So I suggest the same to you. The eighth day of Hanukkah next Sunday is such a powerful time for prayer. Sit down and pray for everything that you need and then write down your prayers on a piece of paper, put them next to your Hanukkah. And in a year from now, when you take your Hanukkah out of storage, you can also look at those pieces of paper and see what happened, what came to pass, what did not come to pass. And yes, God is not our ATM, and certainly not everything happens the way we do, but many of your prayers will come true. And it is also very important to remember to pray not just for yourself, not just for your loved ones, but for other people that you know. In our tradition, it is said that when two people need the same thing and one person prays for the other, the person who prays gets answered first. So take the time on Hanukkah to pray for yourself, for your loved ones, and for other people in the community who need what you need. And may God answer all of our prayers. Stay tuned and we'll be right back after these messages.
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. So every few weeks, I get invited to talk to a liberal group, sometimes an Israeli secular pre-army program, and sometimes diaspora college students on Massah or birthright programs. And I often choose to start my presentation with a paraphrase on Jonathan Haidt's famous social experiment. Jonathan Haidt is a political philosopher, and he held a very famous experiment with hundreds of thousands of people around the globe. And I will show you the outcome of those experiments just in a moment. But what I do is I usually pull out a talit, a, a prayer shawl. I show it to the students and I ask if it would be moral for me to rip it apart and use it to wash my house in private. Nobody would know about this. And the students usually move uncomfortably in their seats and start playing mental gymnastics. They're clearly perturbed but they don't know how to explain why. It feels wrong to them, but they can't quite pass judgment. In the end, there is always that one student who will say, look, it's important and all, but in the end, you know, Talit, it's just a piece of fabric. It doesn't have feelings. And so if you do this in the privacy of your own home and nobody knows about it, who are we to say that it is immoral? And by saying this, the student will usually put everybody else out of their misery and the other students will nod their heads. And this statement is really at the crux of the current religion and state debate going on in Israel. Time and again, participants in my talks confirm what Hyde found in many of his experiments. And that is that when making moral decisions, Liberals will usually ask one overarching question. Is anybody getting hurt? That's the question that makes something moral or immoral on the liberal scale. And they will pay some attention to two additional questions. Is this fair? And is there freedom that is being lost? But if it's fair, if there are no freedoms that are infringed, and if nobody's getting hurt, for a liberal it will be very hard to pass judgment on something as immoral. What liberals do overlook, though, is that the three other issues that make up what Hyde calls the moral matrix. And those three issues are loyalty, authority, and sanctity. Is there a loyalty that is being violated? Is there an authority that is being violated? And is there a sanctity that is being violated? 
Conservatives, on the other hand, will usually consider all six values and try to strike some kind of balance between them. So over the past eight or nine years, I've been asked time and time again to speak out against quote-unquote ultra-Orthodox violence, usually around the cultural division issue. There are liberal groups that would like to pray in accordance with their own way of praying that goes against the tradition that has been in place at the Western Wall for the past 1,500 years. And there are those who want to balkanize the Western Wall and have different plazas for different denominations. I've also been challenged time again to explain why the religious Israelis keep insisting against public transportation on Shabbat, or why they insist on upholding strict conversion marriage laws. And in the end, it usually boils down to one question. Why can't you just live and let live? And while it goes without saying that violence has absolutely no place in public discourse, it is high time that we all understand that on issues of religion and state, the stakes are drawn between people with a deep sense of reverence for Jewish tradition and those whom the Western Wall, with all its history, is just a bunch of stones, the Talit, with all the warm and fuzzies, is just a piece of fabric, and Shabbat, Friday dinner and all, is just another day of the week. Two political statements from last week illustrated this point very well. In a Knesset committee discussion of conversions, Israel Bitenu, Knesset member Yulia Malinovsky, she's one of the Liberman's people, opined that, quote, the Torah has 600 and something commandments, the Lubavitcher Reb reduced them to 10, and we can reduce them even further. So the ignorance is stunning. She doesn't know exactly how many commandments. You know, it's 600 and change. And it's also ironic that Malinovsky chose to invoke the memory of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who staunchly opposed Israeli legislation against giving Jewish status to non-Halachic Jews. It is also unclear why she thinks that the Lubavitcher Rebbe had the power or the inclination to reduce the number of commandments. What is clear, however, is that for her, the Torah and its commandments expendable, a compilation of arbitrary rules that can be done away with to fit any agenda. The second statement came hours later at the same committee hearing from Labour Knesset member and former head of the Israeli reform movement, Gilad Kariv. Kariv had a brilliant suggestion of automatically converting children or non-Jewish mothers, whereby babies would be circumcised before leaving the hospital and automatically be registered as Jews. So apparently Kariv didn't notice that for the past 3,000 years, Jews have been circumcising their sons on the eighth day, while Israeli hospitals discharge moms and babies on the third. But more importantly, though, Kariv has demonstrated that for him, the integrity of the Jewish people, the criteria for becoming Jewish, not to mention the laws of conversion, are all arbitrary and can be changed at whim for political interests. Now, unlike Milinovsky, Kariv, and their peers, the six million Israelis, Haredi, religious, and traditional, and millions more in the diaspora who do not view their heritage as haphazard, and for whom Jewish laws and values are not a collection of randomness. For us, a talit is not just a piece of cloth. It's a holy religious item for which our grandfathers risked their lives in the barracks of Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. 
The Kotel is not just Herod's retaining wall. It's a holy place which our ancestors defended with their lives. And the laws of the Torah are not capricious. They are the core of who we are to the extent that 2,000 years later we still mark the martyrdom of Hannah and her seven children and the self-sacrifice of the Maccabees by lighting Hanukkah candles. Yes, Hannah was willing to see her seven children die one after the other, just not to go against the Jewish principle of worshiping one God and not bow to an idol, even if that bowing was just for the sake of showing a perfunctory reverence, or just to pick something up as her last son was given a chance to just pick something up in front of the idol. No, her seven children died so as not to give up their Jewish identity in front of her. And Hannah and her seven children are still buried in the ancient cemetery of the city of Tzfat in northern Israel. And for us, Hanukkah is not a holiday of lights. It's not a Jewish Christmas. It's a holiday that for the past 2,000 plus years, we've remembered that Judaism is at the core of who we are and we're willing to make sacrifices for it to this day. So to this day, there are millions of Jews around the world that make daily sacrifices for their Judaism. They live simpler lifestyles to devote more time to learning Torah. They forgo promising jobs to keep Shabbat and skip luxuries to give their children Jewish education. As anti-Semitism is rearing its ugly head, Jews around the world are taking risks to publicly exhibit their Jewish identity because being a Jew is a core value and a commitment, not a status symbol that an Israeli political hack can assign at random. And as long as we're talking about morality, it is immoral for a small group of self-interested, cynical, and sneering politicians to violate the sanctity of Jewish values and laws that are cherished by millions of Jews in Israel and around the world. If these politicians do not hold these values dear, if for them the Torah is just another expandable set of random laws, if for them it doesn't really matter when you perform circumcision on the third day, on the eighth day, who cares, as long as we get the check on the checkoff list. For people like this to make decisions about religion and state and about the Jewish presence and the Jewish character of Israel's public space against the wishes of most Jews in Israel and abroad, this is as a, what is moral. It is simply immoral for them to have a say and certainly to have the power to decide what Judaism will look like if they don't care. But if the story of Hanukkah has taught us anything, it is that commitment and sacrifice can make up for lack of power in spades. And boy, do we have those. Do we have the commitment? And do we have the willingness to make self-sacrifices? Because for us, a talit is not just a piece of cloth. The kotel is not just a bunch of stones. And Shabbat is not just another day of the week. For us, these are our eternal values. And just like our forefathers, we're willing to stand up for them. And we will. And tonight, we will light Hanukkah candles to reaffirm that commitment to ourselves and to our children. That's why it's called Hanukkah, from the word for education. We educate our children 
that these are the values for which we stand up no matter what. And I hope that as you light Hanukkah candles in your home, you talk to your children and your family members about the importance of standing up for these values, how important they are, how cherished they are, how they're at the core of who we are, and we will make sacrifices to make sure that these values are passed on to future generations. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Are you tired of political correctness and the fear that you might offend someone? I'm not afraid to offend you. Wow, look who's talking tough. One has to be tough to keep sane today. Hi, I'm Alan Skorsky. And I'm Bela Seabrow. And join us every Wednesday for The Definitive Wrap as we interview the most sought-after guests and expose progressive trends that masquerade as enlightenment but actually destroy our freedoms. We are the No Wolf Zone, so buckle up for this exciting show. Buckling up, but I'm driving. <laughs> sure, you can drive, but I'm the navigator. Tune in for the No Nonsense, the definitive rap show, every Wednesday on Israel News Talk Radio. Okay, welcome back for our third and final segment today on Hanukkah. So I would like to share a very interesting and mysterious teaching that is brought down in our tradition. In our tradition, the Jewish year is compared to a human pregnancy, a time that a baby is born. And the time from Rosh Hashanah to Simchat Torah is the beginning, it's like the conception. And then from Simchat Torah until Pesach, Every two months are considered to be like a trimester. So from Simchat Torah until Pesach, until Hanukkah, it's two months. That's one trimester. And Hanukkah is considered to be like the end of the first trimester of the pregnancy of this year. And what happens at the end of the first trimester? Right? They, usually the pregnancy starts showing and people start seeing this and he's expecting so the teaching is that on Hanukkah, we can start to see the purpose of this year, that every year has a purpose. Every year has a specific task that you're supposed to do. Every year is another part of the spiral of your growth. And you get a first inkling of what this year is going to be around, around Hanukkah. But Hanukkah is all about seeing. It's about seeing and having clear vision for where we're going. We're still in the dark. Everything is still very much in the dark. You don't know what's going on. You know, it's just things are just developing underneath the surface, the way they do in nature. Everything is, you know, very still and just developing underneath the surface, underneath the ground, the way plants do. But things are starting to show. Then on Purim, everything is about hearing. On Purim, we hear the Megillah red. And it's like hearing the purpose of the year. It's like, you know, when the baby kicks and it started being more noticeable. So Purim, the purpose of this year is not quite out yet, 
but it's becoming more and more noticeable. You can pick it up, especially through hearing. But then on Pesach, Pesach, Passover, is when the purpose of the year is actually born. And things go from being seen or just heard into the world of action. This is where you can take specific action to implement the purpose of the year. And from Passover on, as the summer grows and becomes more and more um, hot and more and more forceful, then you have more and more energy to make things happen. So Hanukkah, like we said, is just when you get that first inkling of things happening. It's still very dark and you can't really notice any development. And this is so apropos to us and to how we live our lives. We live in processes, but we don't usually pay attention to processes. Before you can create something or make something happen, it has to gestate. It has to live inside of you. You have to go through this pregnancy, so to speak, of carrying this idea around, of growing it slowly until it actually starts picking out and giving you some first inkling of being there. And then you have to think about it more and more and more until you hear it and until it's very clear to you and you see it in all its detail. And it's only after that that you can go ahead and take action. But in those early stages, when things are still up in the dark, when things are still not clear, when you still don't know quite what to do and you're literally in the dark, it's very easy to lose hope because it's just one little candle of an idea and it's all below the surface. And that's when it's so easy to let our perfectionism get in the way and to think that we're not doing enough, we're not good enough because we're not creating enough. I came across a teaching from the Lubavitcher Rabbi a few years ago that it has really stuck with me and been very, very powerful. The Rabbi writes that the point of every Jew and the job of every Jew in the world is to be a torchbearer to light candles. Actually, it's a teaching that the Rebbe brings for one of his ancestors. This ancestor, I think it was the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, used to say that every Jew has to be a lamplighter. Just like in the cold and dark early days in Europe, there would be a lamplighter who would walk from lamp to lamp and light the lanterns to make the world more lit, to make the streets more lit. So every Jew has to be a lamplighter and light the light of other people around you. Sometimes it's as easy as a smile or a nice word or a compliment or a question or showing some interest. It doesn't take so much to light the light in another person. But the Rebbe says something even more powerful. When we light Hanukkah candles, on the first night, you can only light one candle That's the best possible mitzvah you can do. Yes, there are eight spaces in the Hanukkah. There's room for eight candles, but on the first night, it doesn't matter what you want to do, you can only light one candle. On the second night, yes, now you can light two candles. On the third night, yes, you can light three and so on. But the point is that on the first day, the best possible mitzvah you can do is just one candle and that's enough. Yes, tomorrow you can do more. Tomorrow you can light two. But today, one is perfect. And on the second day, today you can light two. Yes, tomorrow there'll be three, and the day after there'll be four, and the day after there'll be five. But who cares? Today, it's only two, and that's the best you can do. We really need to take that lesson to heart. Because we look at our little candle, we look at our little 
effort. The one thing we did today, and we say, yeah, but you know, I got this done, but there are a gazillion other things I didn't do. I didn't do that, and 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 I could have done, and I could have, and I would have, and I should have. And then we get so discouraged by the one thing we did do. And I see this so often with people when I will have a discussion with them and ask, okay, what's step one? What's the thing you want to do now? And they say, yeah, I want to do this, but but then there's this and this and this and this and this and this. And they get so carried away by all the possibilities and all the future steps that they never take the time to actually appreciate and take the first step that will lead them forward. And there's a really cute joke about that in the Jewish world. That once there was a kid in first grade and the teacher comes in and asks, who knows this letter? He points to the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. And the kid says, um, I don't know. And the teacher says, I know that you know this letter. What is it? And the kid says, I don't know. And the teacher insists, look, I know, you know. And they get into the little discussion, to the little power struggle. And the teacher says, you know what? I know that you know, and you have to get out of here. And he kicks the kid out of class. And then during the break, I mean, I'm very educational, right? But this is the story. Then during the break, a friend comes over to this kid and says, look, I know that you know that letter. And the kid says, of course I know, it's Aleph. So the friend says, so if you know the letter, why didn't you tell the teacher that you know it? Why did you let him kick you out of class? He says, well, because this letter is Aleph, but after that comes Bet and Gimel, and I know those. But after Bet and Gimel comes Dalit, and I don't know Dalit. So why should I let the teacher ask me all these questions and then we'll get to something I don't know? And that's so reminiscent of how many of us live our lives. We think today about the struggles of tomorrow and the struggles of the day after, and we don't do today what we can do today because of what can happen tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is a whole different day. Who knows what will happen tomorrow? Fact is, what can you do today? What's the one step that you can take today to make things better for you, to get the job you wanted to get, to make your family life better, to get your kid back on track, to maybe save the relationship with that kid that has not been going so well, to mend the relationship with your friends or neighbors, to make more money, whatever it is, whatever your goal is, what can you do today? What candle can you light today? What light can you light today to make your life better? And usually that one step is so easy it's literally as easy as lighting that one candle on the Hanukkah. It's that easy. So what is that one step you need to make today to make things better? Because tomorrow can happen without today. You can't have two candles before you have one candle. You can't have three candles before you have two candles. And we go from one to eight. We don't go from eight to one. Because in the Talmud, there's another opinion that says you should start with eight candles and slowly but surely take one candle off. But we don't do that because that's not how the world works. We make small incremental steps from one to eight. And then when we're at eight, we're at our fullest. And then we're really beyond nature. There is a great rule in management called the Pareto Principle. And it says that 20% of efforts create 80% of outcomes. And the smart thing is just to know what 20% of efforts to do. We think that to get to 100% of outcomes, we have to make 100% of efforts. But actually, 
It doesn't work this way. It doesn't work this way in modern management, and it certainly doesn't work this way in the Torah. Our sages say that God tells us, make for me an opening the size of a needle hole, and I will open for you a doorway that wagons can go through. So we all just need to make that first step. What is that opening the size of a needle hole? What is that little act that you need to do to take the first step? And that step will lead you one more step further. Just like walking down on a path, you can only walk one step at a time. And Hanukkah is like that time when you walk down a really, really dark path. And all of a sudden, a car comes by with its lights lit up and it illuminates the entire place and you see from miles ahead. And then when the car passes, you're still in the dark, but you know where you're going. That's the power of Hanukkah. And I'm wishing each and every one of you to have a beautiful, wonderful, happy Hanukkah for you and your entire family, that you should leverage the ability to pray, to get clarity during this time, and that the lights of Hanukkah will stay with you through the dark winter and into the year ahead. Have a great week. Love you all. Bye-bye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.